It's 8 p.m. 1938. Families across the country are sitting down and turning on the radio. They're listening to the swinging jazz of Ramon Raquello, live from Park Plaza in New York City. When suddenly... Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Breaking news coming to you live from California. An explosion on Mars has caused large chunks of debris to land in a farm in the middle of New Jersey. A reporter is on scene, but he's cut off. Creatures are emerging from the debris. At least 40 people, including six state troopers, lie dead. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. Listeners are terrified. The station reports the deployment of the National Guard is underway. A battle plays out over the next 40 minutes. Death, destruction screams as New Jersey is lost to these creatures from Mars. The anchor is yelling about evacuations, and then there's dead air on the radio. And then music. And then... You are listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It wasn't real. None of it was. It was just a story. But the damage was done. People were flooding the streets as news spread. Millions trying to escape from the supposed Martians filled the roads, causing traffic jams, accidents, even deaths. The following day, newspapers covered nothing but the panic caused by the broadcast, attacking the radio for being so irresponsible. It was deliberately using a fake story, presented as real, to trick listeners and incite panic. In the nearly eight decades since, scholars have used that doomed broadcast to explain human nature and the compulsion humans seem to have to spread panic through misinformation. The problem is, that panic caused by the broadcast? It never happened. The media then, like the media now, inflated it. They turned it into a bold, large print headline. A story of a story, spreading around and becoming fact for decades. Academics like to cite it when talking about propaganda and how easy it is to spread. Ironically, they were still right, just not in the way they intended. They themselves were the propagandists. The teacher had become the lesson. The problem with propaganda in the 21st century is that the average person thinks it doesn't exist anymore. Propaganda, like Sockops in your grandmother's glory days, was left behind in 1954. They associate propaganda with posters of strong, blonde, all-American boys telling them to enlist in the army or get the hell out of America. Propaganda now is a little bit more subtle, which makes it all the more dangerous. For more on the subject, I turn to Mir Sotirovic, a journalism professor at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, who specializes in propaganda and its newest form, fake news. What we know about uh, propaganda is uh, that uh, it works only when we do not consider something to be propaganda. So that means that... Uh, uh, successful propaganda involves also the responsibility of the receiver of that propaganda. Meaning, if uh, we stop for a second and we think about uh, the message that we received and we think about, well, what is it that they are telling me and also what is it that they are not telling me? At that moment uh, uh, protects us 
from uh, the worst things that uh, uh, propaganda may achieve. So it is just blind uh, belief that something is uh, correct, that things are truth, and uh, uh, making us to act on whatever information we receive. Propaganda, in its simplest definition, is anything that deliberately tries to manipulate opinion. This is done with those World War II posters, with campaign ads, with fake news sites. But it's also done with public service announcements and anti-smoking campaigns. Propaganda, as Mira explains, is not necessarily a good or bad thing. There is this spectrum along which you can determine uh, what propaganda is. So, one of the classic uh, ways to talk about propaganda is to talk about black, gray, and white propaganda. So, uh, obviously, black propaganda would be the propaganda that is, uh, uh, first of all, the source is concealed, or it's false, and information is misleading, untrue, it is a disinformation. So, on the other uh, side of the spectrum is something that is called white propaganda, and uh, a good example of that is uh, what we are used to see as uh, uh, various public announcements, so uh, various maybe advertisements or messages in public interest that are created by different kind of organizations. So uh, what we have there is that uh, obviously uh, the source is known and the information uh, may not be false, but it may not be fully truthful also because uh, not because they are uh, not conveying facts, but because it is decontextualized because uh, it is selected, it is, uh, certain things are emphasized and omitted. So again, it, is, it can be misleading. The more out of context, the more deliberately manipulative, the darker the propaganda gets. For an example of this, here's a clip from the criminally underrated historical drama Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. The movie, which has no Oscars, has a scene in which our hero Freddy is being interviewed by the press from his hometown, Coolsville. Freddy, as all diehard Scooby-Doo fans will know, has had a rocky relationship with the press up until now. They have a habit of misrepresenting him. So what you're saying is, it's all downhill for Mystery Inc. No! Hey, you're doing that thing again where you take everything I say out of context. You're trying to make it look like I think Coolsville sucks. No! Don't record that! All Fred Jones had to say was, I think Coolsville sucks. Even though life is, sadly, not like Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, the clip shows us exactly the way propaganda works in the 21st century. Imagine you're a Coolsville resident. You love Coolsville. A clip of Freddy saying how much he hates Coolsville pops up on Facebook. You watch it, get outraged, and repost it. Then your friend, who is also very pro-Coolsville, sees it, is outraged, and shares it. That's how fake news spreads. Not by newspapers, not by radio stations, but by social media. Mir explains that social media in developed countries like the U.S. and Germany is what is causing the fake news epidemic we find ourselves in now, especially since we tend to be friends with people who share the same political views as we do. Psychologically, we are very likely to believe the information that agrees with our preconceptions. So if you have a piece of fake news and it sounds, well, this is good, this is really confirming what I hear, what I know already, or what I think that I already know, you're going to accept it as something that is going to reinforce your opinions. Fake news, like propaganda, is deliberate. Unlike propaganda, however, it is more effective the more crazy it sounds. People will blindly share and repeat headlines if they are splashy and overtly political. The most shared fake news story on Facebook for 2016 
was a story about President Obama signing an executive order that banned the Pledge of Allegiance in schools. Let's break down why this story was so popular. First of all, it targeted Barack Obama. As president, Obama was an easy target to focus on. As much as he was liked, there were also groups that were looking for any reason to attack him. By bringing up the Pledge of Allegiance, the article instantly triggered a patriotic response in people reading. The Pledge of Allegiance is tightly tied with American history. It instantly caused outrage in the fiercely patriotic people of Facebook. And once those people start thinking that their freedom is being threatened, they stop really listening objectively. Obama and the Pledge of Allegiance, as ideas, trigger what are known as heuristics. Kind of like shortcuts our brains take so we don't have to think too hard about something. Mira explains. Heuristics, you can think about them as those devices that we know uh, trigger particular responses in the people who uh, receive them. Because, again, we do not have time to fully process, or we are not willing, we are not motivated to fully process information and to actually uh, ask ourselves, what is it that I'm not seeing there that should be the part of the picture? deciding in an instant that, well, this seems right, you know, and making decision upon that. Heuristics are key in propaganda and in fake news. They prevent people from looking too deeply at a piece of false information. They make up their minds before they even finish reading the headline. Heuristics are part of biases in action. A bias is an ingrained prejudice we have. So let's say you're a huge Star Trek fan. And it is, for the most part. It's just that the few who break that rule tend to get more attention than the vast majority that doesn't. Journalists can fall victim to the same heuristic and biased shortcuts that the average person does. Think back to 1938. Maybe journalists wanted the radio panic to be true, because radio was their direct competitor, and the story makes them look bad. So they inflated it, and made it the original fake news. People in 1938, however, didn't have the resources we have now. They were forced to blindly trust their newspapers because they had no reason to doubt them. They were the final authority on any news story. Thinking like that is what causes fake news. If we get lazy and trust any source, we fall victim to fake news and propaganda. But, like Mira said, fighting propaganda is as simple as taking a half a second pause after we read or watch or listen to something. As soon as we even consider something might not be 100% accurate, the spell is broken. We are immune to the effects of it. In the 1990s, NBC ran a series of white propaganda ads entitled The More You Know because they didn't trust teens not to drink, smoke, or apparently punch each other at dance clubs. Here's National Treasure Will Smith in a video that ran during commercials. Oh, oh, there you go. Hey, check this out. Here's the situation. Say you out with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You know, you're at school. You had a club or something getting busy. All right, you're just having fun. Somebody steps up to you and they tell you they want to rumble. All right, now, now just stop for a second. Before you lose your head, get all crazy and toss your hands up, just think. The person that uses the head can always defeat the person that's just trying to use their hands. Now remember that, because the more you know. The ads went out of style, but maybe we still need them. Maybe we could have prevented fake news from happening if we had just had a relatable figure warning people about the dangers of propaganda. Hey guys, it's me, a celebrity from that band show movie you enjoy. I'm Snapchatting and looking at memes and dabbing because I'm just like you. Here's the situation. Say you're out with your friends. You're on Twitter or Facebook getting busy. You're just having fun doing normal teen things. Boy, we've all been there. Somebody posts an article about how the president is banning the Pledge of Allegiance in schools. They want to rumble. Now, just stop for a second. 
Before you lose your head, get all crazy, and smash that share button, think. Read the article, verify its authenticity, see what other sources there are. The person who uses their head will always defeat the person that's just trying to make you mad. Now remember that, because the more you know. For Graft, I'm Ashley Miller. Thanks for podcasting.